Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AT and WB podcast. Welcome to this episode in particular. I am your host, Chris Booker Taylor. I just said host. I am your hostess, Chris Booker Taylor, <laughs> and I am joined as always. Well, not as always, just sometimes. To mostly these news episodes, honestly, with Alex <laughs> Wilson. Hey, Alex. Hello. And welcome back to the podcast. Um, so we've in the last episode, I actually had Alex Newman on. He was the new man, the new Alex. And he, um, I, I, I told him that you had a, a baby, so you weren't able to make it to the last couple episodes. I think it just was one episode, um, honestly. Uh, he was on. Um, so you had a baby in this time. Yes, yeah, exciting stuff. And, uh, and, and my... Uh... My partner also had her appendix taken out like five weeks after, which I'm not sure if I told you. So it's been a a whirlwind uh, eight weeks or so since I've probably been active and participating in the podcast. So I'm I'm glad Alex Alex Newman was able to step in. Yeah, well, since then, uh, the DC, well, the DC fandom happened since the last time we talked. So um, I think we're talking about what Val Kilmer was going to do there. And we're like, is Val Kilmer going to be in the Flash movie, you know, and um, Andy Muschietti's The Flash. And it turns out that he just had some art. He has like, um, like kind of street art of his Batman. But if like, since they showed off that art from his Batman, I'm pretty sure that's like a teaser that they're going to be doing something with him. I, I, I feel like his Batman's going to be in The Flash as well. I hope so. Yeah, at least in a, a cameo. I mean, it would be exciting to see Val Kilmer take that role on again yeah just like just pop in and like say hi or not he doesn't even have to say anything really i just want to see his bat lips again let's be honest (laughs) oh yeah gotta see the bat lips and and that's the beauty of this multiverse is i feel like these uh you know past iterations of batman uh can be as as evolved as their schedules will allow so it's exciting uh, to see that this is a possibility he could be returning. Yeah, and so obviously Michael Keaton um, is returning in that Flash movie as Batman, and then um, they announced Ben Affleck is going to be back as his Batman in that movie as well. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so I on to some uh, synergy news. You know, Warner Synergy is the is what this podcast is all about. Um, I believe we said on a previous episode that John Stanky Stanky left AT and T. He's still there. He's still king over at AT&T, and now actually Jason Kylar, it's K-I-L-A-R, he runs Warner Media. Got it. So it was just, was it Warner Media that got a big restructuring? Yes, and it's still oh, getting restructured. It. There's a lot of people being let go. There's a lot of people being shuffled around. Uh, we'll, we'll get into um, all of that. I also wanted to mention real quick, during the uh, fandom, the DC fandom, they announced a couple video games. So I just wanted to say quick, the uh, Warner's upcoming, uh, Warner decided to keep their video game division, which I think is a very important thing that they decided to do, especially since it houses like Mortal Kombat. And um, there's even like, they own so many different franchises that you would even think like Condemned and Gauntlet. They they made that, they published that Gauntlet. Um, remember Gauntlet from back in the day? They published oh, like, the, the newer version, which I actually just beat with my... Uh, buddies my my gaming buddies which we have game night uh once a week and that was really fun to play as well but some of the um so um uh also they're keeping their uh advertising unit which um is 
uh, known as Xander, which is short for Alexander Graham Bell. As you know, AT&T is, you know, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, Ma Bell. So, you know, Ma Bell owns Warner Brothers now. So that's how that's how it goes. Uh, so the upcoming, I guess, like Ma Bell's sons are now the Warner Brothers. You can kind of say, yeah, that makes sense. And the Warner Sister Dot, which we'll get into later with the new Animaniacs. But uh, so the upcoming WB games are uh, the Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga game, which I think is very interesting because Dis- yeah. Disney dropped Disney Interactive and Lucas Arts when they bought Lucasfilm. So. It's weird that they don't have a video game division. They just gave all the Star Wars games to EA to make, which I feel like one day Disney and EA are, will be like the same company or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and, and Disney's licensed a lot to uh, Square Enix as well. I mean, at least with Kingdom Hearts and uh, with some of those uh, crossovers. So maybe Disney is all about licensing some of these characters as opposed to trying to create a lot of it in-house definitely they had disney infinity which i really loved that game and it kind of combined all their ips into one property which was just like you know that's my thing like i love i love when like these giant corporations like are like well we own all this so let's just put it all together and it's a giant multiverse anyway like we have the warner multiverse we have the disney multiverse in a way and like one Definitely. one houses Marvel, one houses DC, um, and then the the Warner one, you know, obviously. So the other new games that are coming out, the they have Gotham Knights and Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and those no. were both announced at DC Fandom, um, you know, both by um, a Rocksteady Games who did the uh, Dark or no, sorry, during did the Arkham trilogy. So it was Arkham Asylum, Arkham City. And then they had Arkham Origins, which was a spinoff made by a different, uh, you know, developer. And then you had Arkham Knight, which is I didn't play those last two. I played the first two. And Arkham City is such an incredible game. It's like so good. It's written by Paul Dini, who you know wrote Tiny Toons and and obviously Batman the Animated Series. So it was really cool seeing, uh, you know, seeing one of his stories come to life in a video game. It was really, really. Uh, it's like a really special game. I think. Very cool. Yeah. And then finally, Hogwarts Legacy, which is like this, I think it's this giant open world Hogwarts uh, or game where you're Harry Potter game, Wizarding World of Harry Potter game, where you are, you know, a, a kid that's going to Hogwarts. And it's just like, it's basically Hogwarts Castle you can explore, which I think is a really cool thing. Obviously, also, I must say, trans lives matter. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's... I'm sure this everybody's talked about this by now, but it's pretty disappointing to hear J.K. Rowling's take on all this. And considering, uh, you know, what what she revealed about Albus Dumbledore, you know, back when the movies were still fresh, and uh, it's it's really sad to to hear her more recent takes on this. But uh, but yes, absolutely, trans lives matter. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate her comments. Um... I know this is going to be a really hard thing for Warner Brothers, too, because they also had to drop Johnny Depp from the third Fantastic Beasts movie, which just started filming. Um, I believe even Ezra Miller said that he started shooting some of his stuff for this third film. Now, originally, it was going to be a trilogy, and then they then Warner Brothers, the execs there, saw the first movie, and they were like, this is five movies now. And then I, yeah. I don't think Crimes of Grindelwald did that well. So I, I think it's going – I this is just my own interpretation. I have this feeling it went back to three, and then they're going to reassess the whole Wizarding World of Harry Potter movie universe. Um, the, I'm sure 
I can see them doing like a TV series for HBO Max instead for a little bit. Kind of what Disney's doing with Star Wars and Marvel, like just throwing it out there on Disney Plus for a little bit, um, just to keep the brand alive, but also to curate, you know, to curate these new uh, parts of the universe that you're showing and exploring. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's absolutely. Uh, and and on a side note, I. I... Uh, I, I don't really have much of a comment on Johnny Depp, but I remember watching Fantastic Beasts and thinking, you know, why isn't Colin Farrell just, you know, Grindelwald for the entire series? Because he's such a phenomenal actor uh, that uh, it, it was frustrating to see that change anyway to a different person. Um, but, right? uh, yeah. but yeah, it's it's. It's kind of a mess uh, right now with those actors. Yeah, and then Mads Mikkelsen is supposedly in the running to replace him right now. You know, he was in Casino Royale, and he was, you know, he was the father figure in Rogue One. I mean, yeah. he's phenomenal, and I'm like honestly, like they should have had him as Grindelwald first. I think he's. Oh yeah. For that exactly. I'm... Yeah, for that specific type of role, I think he's like so perfect for it. I don't know why they didn't go with him originally. Yeah, he lends so much more kind of gravitas and. And and he just feels so much more like an elder statesman than Johnny Depp does. So, I, you know, whereas you have to put so much effort into the makeup and effects to make Johnny Depp look, you know, that menacing, um, Mads Mikkelsen can just show up on set and you believe that he's the most uh, evil wizard uh, in the wizarding world. And in love with Dumbledore. Yeah. 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 I can see that, too. I mean, he's got a. That's the cool thing about him, especially if you've seen Hannibal. Uh, I mean, he's got a real depth of character that he can, and he's got a real range uh, that he can play both sides of that. Yeah, really well, definitely. Uh, oh, also back on Colin um, Farrell, he is the Penguin in the new The Batman. You know, Matt Reeves' The Batman, which comes out next year, and uh, they, you know, they showed off the trailer at DC Fandom. Matt Reeves was there. He was on like a green screen talking to, I think Aisha Tyler, she was hosting it. And, um, you know, cause they were in the fandom. So, uh, oh, yeah. they, they were probably in their own green screens, you know, in their own houses. I'm sure Warner brothers sent everyone their own green screen. And, um, it was really, uh, it was really cool to hear him talk about the movie and like, because, you know, everyone's kind of paused right now and, and that was like before they started up production again, because they have started up production again on the film. Um, also, oh, great. other other Warner Brothers movies uh, that got halted were The Matrix Four, um, but they finally finished shooting that movie. It took them like the entire year of 2020, basically. But that's the movie I am the most excited for of anything in the world right now. I'm just like so now that there's no Star Wars movies to look forward to currently, um, there will be, but currently. Now that there's no Star Wars movies to look forward to, I'm looking forward to that Matrix 4. It seems like it's going to be a really special movie. Agreed. And, you know, honestly, if anybody could use some more time for principal photography and then post-production, it's the Wachowski siblings, you know, just to make sure that their vision is exactly what they want it to be. So yeah. hopefully, even though it's taken longer, hopefully that'll, you know, they'll be able to reap the benefits of that extra time. And uh, uh, same, with, same with Batman. I mean, I, I was... I honestly didn't have high hopes for Colin Farrell's Penguin, at least in terms of how he was going to look on screen. Uh, but the brief still that I've seen of his character, uh, it looks 
it, it looks like a more grounded version, uh, obviously, than the Tim Burton iteration. So I'm excited to see what they do with that character. Yeah, absolutely. And just so excited for that Batman movie as well. And obviously, there's um, Zack Snyder's Justice League is coming to HBO Max. So we're getting Batman all over the place, which is very exciting. Yeah, I, I and I've heard criticism, especially from some of my friends that are a little bit tired of Batman, and that's understandable. We've seen a few iterations by now or more than a few. Uh, but honestly, it's just, it's, I think it's one of those characters that it's just, it's fun to see different directors take on it and especially younger directors. And it's, it's great to see Matt Reeves given the property, you know, after we've, we've had some, uh, after we've just had so many different takes on it, I, I just think that's one property where uh, because of how many, stories have been told in the the comics universe of batman and and in detective comics i I just think it's one of those where you're you're never going to run out of fresh ideas to take that character yeah and on the dcw universe uh crisis on infinite earths crossover special you know ezra miller's flash uh met grant gustin's tv version of flash yeah so and that's where uh, Ezra Miller's Flash like got his name from. He's like, oh, that's kind of a cool name. And then now he's that's where they've even admitted that's where they get it from. That's where he gets it from, which I think is just so cool. Uh, so now, I mean, now that that happened, like the cat's out of the bag. Like anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, they're in a good place. I mean, it things seemed a little bit shaky, uh, especially after Batman vs Superman. But I think they've really uh, kind of started to figure out how to play in this universe and how to open things up the right way so i'm I'm, and it's also not a i don't think it's a carbon copy of what marvel did i mean obviously they're trying to tie everything in together and and that's just a that's a trend that every every ip and content creator is going to start moving towards but i I think that they're starting to do it in a a different way than marvel so that's exciting to see uh this that's exciting to see them kind of take ownership over the dc universe in a in a good and positive way yeah and that everything counts that the comics are part of the multiverse the animated like i'm sure they're going to do at some point the animated series like all the animated shows are like part of the multiverse and then you know the tv and movie stuff is all part of the multiverse i just think that's just like the best thing ever i think obviously uh marvel's going to be doing it with doctor strange and the multiverse of madness which is going to be directed by sam raimi so like obviously I'm pretty confident they're going to get all the Spider-Men in that movie and oh, yeah. they're going to break apart the rip apart the fabric of the universe there cuz what seems like what's happening on uh, uh WandaVision, you know, the Disney Plus Marvel series with uh Yes. Yeah. With the Scarlet Witch, it seems like because Vision died, she is kind of in this like stupor state like just really sad depressed and i think they're gonna do a reverse house of m and in the in the comics house of m was her wishing that there were no mutants and so i think what's going to happen is she's going to do the opposite of that and then we're going to get mutants in the marvel cinematic universe oh i'd love that that and that's a really smart way to 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 put a twist on a on an idea that we're pretty familiar with from the comics. Absolutely. Yeah. And then obviously they already announced she's going to be in Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. So I think, you know, she kind of broke the multiverse and Dr. Strange is going to have to fix it. Mm. So I can see also seeing, um, 
even though he died, the Quicksilver from the MCU meet the Quicksilver from uh, the X-Men universe, X-Men movie universe. That would be cool. Yeah, I I can see that happening, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? One thing, though, that I think DC is doing that Marvel isn't doing is making a Batmobile show for HBO Max, and it's a WB animation animated preschool series and it looks oh, it looks like the batmobile is going to talk wow so kind of like a children's night rider exactly but with the batmobile i think that's pretty cool and something that you know marvel can't really do because it's the batmobile you know yeah there's no equal and then also, also, I don't know if you're familiar with him but peter roth was the tv group chairman at wb and He's leaving after 22 years. No, I was gonna say I'm obviously I'm aware that he was the the head at WBTV for a while, but I, I I'm not really aware of his uh, of kind of what his imprint has been on everything. Oh, I'll tell you. Well, quickly, <laughs> uh, yeah, Susan Rover was the second in command. She left uh, a little earlier this year uh, to Peacock. She flew to the Peacock and. S- and Sarnoff, who's the head of uh, Warner Brothers, uh, she pointed out some of the shows he shepherded, which included The West Wing, Big Bang Theory, Gilmore Girls, Two and a Half Men, Gossip Girl, Supernatural, The Flash. He curated Chuck Lorre and Greg Berlanti's careers, um, you know, because they're both Warner Brothers. They have deals with Warner Brothers uh, TV. Definitely. And um, Jack and Bobby, which is one of Greg Berlanti's shows, also got a mention in there, which I think is really cool. Because you know, he, the, you know, there was Kevin Williamson who created Dawson's Creek for the WB network, and then he kind of gave up the show over to Greg Berlanti as the sh- as the series progressed. And, you know, that turned into Greg Berlanti's show after a while because you know the show's about Kevin Williamson, like a Steven Spielberg nerd who wants to make it in the in the industry. It's just that. Uh, Dawson's straight and, um, in, you know, uh, Kevin Williamson is gay. So there is a gay character that comes in later on. You know, all the characters in that show are Kevin Williamson psyche. You know what I mean? That's how, totally. Yeah. And uh, so then, you know, it becomes Greg Berlanti's psyche after a while. And then he pitches and gets Everwood on, on the WB network, um, which is uh, – and then he gets Jack and Bobby on, which, you know – Jack and Bobby, JFK and RFK, you know, a kind of like a, it's like a modern day take, I think, on the Kennedy family, which I've never seen Jack and Bobby, but I've always wanted to. And I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but one of these days I'm going to watch that. Like I watched Everwood and, and you know, all the WB Network uh, series. Yeah, Everwood uh, absolutely was, it's just, it's cool that that show got made and I'm sure it's, it got made because of how well Dawson's Creek, you know, did for the WB. But uh, but Everwood is not, at least the pilot is not something that you would just think is going to be an, an instant success. Uh, so it's cool to have somebody like Peter Roth who recognizes, uh, you know, great writing when he sees it and, and really shepherds, uh, you know, interesting and, and different creators. Yeah. Uh, Berlante also said about Roth from the moment he first called me in tears after reading the script for Everwood until today, like countless others, I've been the beneficiary of Peter Roth's unparalleled passion for great TV and unwavering advocacy for those to that make it. 
his legacy at Warner Brothers and the, and in the television industry of bringing hit shows to millions of audiences across the world is and will always be unmatched. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And then, um, you know, some of the other shows, you know, um, Shameless, Nip Tuck, uh, Pretty Little Liars, Mom, The Closer, which I always call The Closer in my head. Yeah, me too. <laughs> George Lopez, Mike and Molly, Person of Interest, um, Vampire Diaries, One Tree Hill. And before WBTV, Roth had was um, the head of Fox Entertainment, and he was responsible for the development and put on the air the Emmy-winning Ally McBeal, as well as that 70s show and Family Guy. And prior to working at the network, he served as president of production at 20th Network TV, now 20th TV, where he oversaw the development of The X-Files, Picket Fences, The Practice, King of the Hill, and, of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I, I think Peter Roth, you know, he helped greenlight the what became the WB Network brand to a degree. You know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Everwood, like Gossip Girl, Smallville, like all of these shows like built and became what is known as like that WB Network, now the CW Network brand. Absolutely. And I mean, no other network was really... Uh, kind of capturing the attention in younger audiences, like like the WB did in the you know in the late '90s, early 2000s. I mean, they were just I think they were really capturing that demographic, uh, that you know, ten uh, year old to twenty five year old uh, in a way that just nobody else had before. And then I, I think that the network has, I, th- I think the WB and and Fox even has kind of grown up with its audience, uh, and so it's maintained a lot of uh, a lot of viewers over the years, just as as it's kind of developed. Uh, so I, I think that you can definitely see his fingerprint all over that. Uh, that is also just a wide variety of shows too. I mean, it speaks to uh, to to just some great taste. Uh, so really cool career. Yeah, and so a black woman is replacing him, Channing Dungy. She just served ten months at Netflix, VP of original of original series. But before that, she was running ABC for 14 years. You know, she helped pick Shonda Rhimes. She's she's like, she's the bee's knees. And she fired Roseanne off of the Roseanne really? reboot. Yeah. I mean, when Roseanne made that racist comment on Twitter, you don't say that when you have, like, a, you know, a, someone who's black as your boss that's not going to fly. Hopefully that shouldn't fly with anybody of any color. But, like... Specifically, if your boss is um, of color, you shouldn't be making colorful comments on Twitter. Yeah, and it's also just great to see as as much flack as studio executives get um, for kind of being over-involved in their shows sometimes and, and for certain notes that are given. Uh, I think it's awesome to see executives holding, you know, show creators accountable for, uh, you know, their actions. And, you know, when... When Charlie Sheen was fired, it was cool because every, I mean, everybody at the time was wondering, is this show going to make it post Charlie Sheen? And of course it did. And same with Roseanne. I mean, they fired the, they fired the actress who the show is named after. Uh, And it's just a, it's a great precedent to set because it just shows that no matter where you are in the Hollywood echelon, 
uh, you have to be held accountable for your actions and for the things you say publicly. Yeah, and people don't want to work with jerk-offs. It's like pretty simple. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I was just saying before, Ed, um, uh, Anne Sarnoff, you know, she's the head at Warner Brothers. She's now, um, everything is under one roof now over there. So she's in head. She's the head of HBO, HBO Max, DC, Comics, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Boomerang, Turner Classic Movies, Cartoon Network Studios, WB Animation, TBS, TNT, True TV, Wizarding World, Consumer Products, Experiences, and Gaming. Gosh, I mean, if that doesn't, if that uh, resume alone doesn't just tell you how consolidated this entire industry is getting, you know, uh, nothing will, because it's just a perfect example of of how these big corporations are starting to uh, swallow up all these different content creators and studios and production houses. Uh, so I, I hope that it, I hope that we still find the Peter Ross of the world and the Chang Dungies of the world who are able to, uh, you know, see the forest through the trees uh, and, and, and make sure that they're fostering, you know, the right creatives and, and not kind of not getting too, uh, too bogged down by so many different networks that they're having to juggle all at once. Yeah. Or so many brands. Yeah. So many, yeah. Brands is a better word because uh, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's such a particular thing to foster a brand and it's, and, and, and to be able to juggle that many and to maintain all the different demographics that they're all trying to attract simultaneously. Uh, it's a tall order. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's interesting to see how, where we were like two years ago, because two years ago, Hulu greenlit an Animaniacs spinoff or sorry, reboot. And now Hulu is owned by Disney and like fully and I, I although i do think warner brothers still owns that 10 percent, that little sliver i don't think they've sold that yet so they still know what's going on over there to a degree so it is smart that they also have this content on this other network or this other streaming service um but also like for instance there is going to be a grease spinoff on hbo max we've even talked about it briefly and that's going to be moving over to CBS All Access, which is changing its name to Paramount Plus, I think, in like March of next year. Oh, yeah. And the show even changed its name. So it used to be, it's going to be called Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies. And it, it was Grease Rydell High, which kind of sounds more like a CW show. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it, it definitely sounds um, uh, like a Smallville type or, or just... It, it clues you into oh it's a uh, it's a bunch of teens in a in a high school whereas Rise of the Pink Ladies sounds a little bit more. Um, and so true. And uh, talking about Warner Synergy, of course, that's what we're always talking about. Not uh, this like this crossoverness between the studios, but um, Regina King, who just won an Emmy for her performance in the Watchmen uh, series for HBO, which you saw, right? I mean, what an incredible show that won all of the Emmys this year. I think it won the most Emmys than of any show ever. And now I, I used when the first announced that Damon Lindelof didn't want to make another season, um, but he was happy if somebody else took the reins and then wanted to do it. I'm hoping of, uh, The Watchmen is just so perfect on its own. I, I just don't know how I, I just don't know what you could do with it that wouldn't kind of water down what they did with the first season. Uh, it's just such a great kind of time capsule. Uh, and, and I think people are going to be 
talking about the, that show uh, for years to come. Yeah, like I said, it's e- it was either like a hundred years too late or like six months too early because everyone's wearing yeah. masks in that show. It's all about police, absolutely police brutality. It was basically what it was basically twenty twenty, but they had the foresight like a, a couple of years ahead of time. Like that's just incredible. Yeah, and and person of interest uh, to go off on a little bit of a tangent. Uh, was much more of a network show and didn't really push the envelope in terms of uh, its thematic elements like The Watchmen did. Um, But I think Person of Interest was also a few years ahead of its time. I think if that show was premiering, uh, you know, this year or even last year, uh, there would be a lot of buzz about just uh, uh, surveillance culture and, and, you know, where we are now as a a society and, and... and just the uh, with all this craziness of of, of people talking about uh, you know elections being stolen, that's the kind of show that could have really taken this weird news cycle that we're in and put an interesting spin on things. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and you know yeah. that that was a J.J. Abrams produced show. Yeah, and uh, you know I think of the you know the WB network when it started. He was one of the show creators. He created Felicity. So I like, I I, th- I think of like if there was a Mount Rushmore of the Warner Brothers network, I think like Greg Berlante would be on there instead of Kevin Williamson. It'd definitely be Greg Berlante. I think um, Joss Whedon would be on there because of Buffy and Angel, of course. And then definitely. And I think JJ would be right there too. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh. I mean, part of me wants to say that, uh, you know, Alfred Goh and, and uh, Mark Miller uh, could, you know, you could make a case for it, but that's just because I love Smallville so much. And uh, they didn't have near the impact that Abrams and Berlanti did. But, uh, that's but, fair. but I, think that, I think that because of how many different uh, types of IP that they've uh, curated over the years, whether it be in comics or their TV shows, um, but, but they've worked uh, in television outside of the warner brothers universe so i I think you're spot on if we're if we're talking about creators that have really molded you know the cw and the wb into what it's become today i think you you definitely can't leave out greg berlanti absolutely and um i mean like you know there's an argument i guess for people that didn't create shows for the wb network but have these wb uh tv contracts like chuck lorry um, cause you know, all of his content eventually is going to be on HBO max and oh, yeah. all, yeah, all of this is like everything that Warner brothers owns, I would think would eventually be, show up on HBO max when all the old deals end. Yeah, I'd hope so. It's, it's bizarre to me that Harry Potter, the movie series right now is licensed to Peacock. So I don't know if that was just part of the old licensing deal that they still have to fulfill. Um, but with HBO Max launching, it was weird that they didn't have uh, one of their strongest, uh, you know, pieces of content on HBO Max. Uh, but I'm sure I'm sure they'll bring that back. They didn't know what they were doing. I like, like <laughs> no. at all. I mean, they 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 did realize it, but you know, they realized it at the tenth hour because they announced all the stuff that was going to be on HBO Max, and the Harry Potter eight films were not on there. And then, yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah, but then suddenly, when they premiered HBO Max, they were on there, and they had them for about two months, and they then they went away. So someone Ugh. made this backdoor deal, like it must have been a crazy deal to get the rights just for that little bit of time 
because I mean that's one of their premier brands in in the okay so in the Animaniacs reboot I'm not going to spoil it too much for you but you know in the very first episode they get they the uh, did you see the little teaser they did with uh with Steven Spielberg No unfortunately I didn't get to Okay well okay I'll spoil that but that's the beginning of the episode so it's it's Jurassic Park you know and and the oh, nice. the, the Brachiosaurus scene you know, it's all animated, so it, it it looks like the the two main characters from that, and and or it looks like all of them from that. They get they got them all there, even the lawyer. But the lawyer is <laughs> is Hulu, you know, and and he's like, we're gonna be rich. So instead of seeing Brachiosaurus, they see the Animaniacs, and Spielberg plays the um, uh, you know the the guy who creates the dinosaurs. So he's like, yeah, we brought them back. And he's like, I also brought back Pinky and the Brain. And they're like, what? You did what? And and then so <laughs> they bounce over to the Warner Brothers studio lot. And they go into, like, you know, they go in. The, you see the water tower. You know, it's awesome. And as they're getting to the water tower, you see, like, it almost looks like the Arnold character. Because, you know, back in the original Animaniacs days, uh, it was, they always showed, like, a... Arnold type actor, you know, that was always like the type of person they used to represent actors or, and, and celebrity. And, um, yeah. so they have him with like a, with like a wonder woman or, and then it is, it is like a, a person dressed as wonder woman or, or maybe it could be wonder woman because you know, it's, it's an animated series. And then you also see, um, Dumbledore, Harry Potter, and Batman. So, like, again, like, Harry Potter, the Wizarding World is such a premier brand for Warner Brothers. It's, it's, it's always been weird to me that they let Universal have the theme park rights to it. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, like, they could have put that somewhere on the Warner Brothers lot. You know what I mean? Like, and they already have this. Or, or, or at I mean, AT&T right now is trying to sell off uh, you know, warehouses and assets because they're trying to streamline uh, their company, but they could have just taken one of these large swaths of land that they're not using and turned it into their own Harry Potter world. And, and granted, AT&T didn't buy Warner uh, until after the Harry Potter deal with Universal had been made, but it's just such, it's just so sad that, you know, they didn't hold off for a few more years because just think of what they could have done with all this different IP yeah, it's really interesting to see, like, because I think there were sixty billion in debt when they bought, like, Warner Brothers when AT and T bought them. So, like, they just got a one point one billion dollar cash injection by selling its stake, um, in of uh, from the Central European Media to Czech Investments firm PPF Group. You know, like, there's all these like crazy deals that um, they're trying to cut uh, all this loose, all these loose ends to try to, you know. M- be a profitable company again yeah they're and they're trying to unload direct tv which was like one of the worst investments they've made in hindsight uh so they're i mean i get the idea of trying to lower their debt um but they're really gonna they're they're really uh about to throw the baby out with the bathwater if they don't watch it with some of these uh you know if they're not careful with the content that they own it's one thing to sell buildings and to sell physical assets uh, but when you're talking about this valuable content and and how important that's become in the streaming era, uh, I mean, it's just you, you just have to be really careful with that stuff. Yeah, like Disney knows its brand so well. Like when it launched Disney Plus, it was like we are Disney 
Pixar, Star Wars, and I guess National Geographic. <laughs> and ESPN sometimes yeah. when we when we decide to claim it. Yeah, and I guess ESPN and Hulu. You know, those are their other two brands that were separate. They like separated them from Disney Plus because they're strong enough on their own. Yeah. And and you know, Hulu like it's Hulu's still developing, I feel like it's it's brand it's brand, it's calling cuz it's kind of merged with FX, so like the Hulu brand really is the FX brand in my opinion now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's this this adult um like again, adult content, mature. We have we have an episode called like mature content or something like mature rated um <laughs> But um, yeah, this this mature content, just like you know, just like HBO level uh, quality shows that you'll have on um, you'll have on Hulu that are more for adults. When I guess even HBO Max would be more for every like you know HBO Max is for everybody. HBO is more specifically that mature demographic, and then you know Disney Plus is for everybody. But then Hulu is more that mature demographic. Yeah, and without going too uh, far down the Disney wormhole, the only real big mistake that I personally uh, haven't liked is they didn't, you know, go ahead and greenlight uh, Howard the Duck. I mean, that would have been so exciting to see Hulu take some of these Marvel characters into a more mature direction. Uh, but you know, I, I, I get that they're they're restructuring at Marvel even, so they, there's there's just there's a lot of moving pieces when you join a, a big conglomerate. Yeah, that was weird. They they had four animated Hulu Marvel series they were gonna produce, yeah. and then they and they had can, yeah. they canceled. Did they cancel all of them? I feel like two of them actually got to production before they cut I, the legs off this thing. I thought, yeah, I think Howard the Duck maybe went to production, and then Mo, was is it Modok? I'm not as familiar with the character, but it was Patton Oswalt was gonna voice him, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I think those two were going to be made, and those sounded really exciting. And it, and they also sounded like a cool way to start, you know, making FX type shows, but not for FX. You know, it's really making them for Hulu, and you could really start, uh, you could really start blending the Hulu and FX brand like we're talking about uh, in interesting ways. Uh, but I think that I think now FX is just going to swallow up the hulu brand and and hulu is gonna like you're saying it's just gonna be live action adult fx shows on hulu yeah absolutely because their brand was already handmaid's tale which is like is so much an fx show already absolutely and so back to regina king she's actually producing this show called slay for the cw and it centers on carson jones a bold witty teenager with afro puffs leather boots 70s cool style and thanks to her mother's ancient african bloodline supernatural gifts and the responsibility to use them to protect virginia's historic triangle triangle one of the most haunted areas in the country from the forces of darkness yeah it sounds awesome and and you know my my first gut reaction is that sounds overly ambitious but i'm sure if you'd been sitting in the pitch meeting for Buffy back in the day, you, you would have thought the same thing. So I, I, I bet they'll be able to pull it off in an interesting way. And and at least I think it, uh, Regina King's got a movie out now um, that looks awesome, that the name is escaping me. Uh, but, I mean, she's becoming a force to be reckoned with as well. Um, oh, it's One Night in Miami, right? Or One 
one evening in Miami or anyway, it, it'll just be exciting to see what she develops with the television series. And yeah, absolutely. and I think that is a cool way to put a spin on, um, uh, you know, the, the Buffy model. Yeah. I, and uh, yeah, it sounds like it's, it sounds like, a, like we yeah, have one night in Miami. It sounds like a modern take, like we're saying a modern take on Buffy, which, you know, Buffy's such an iconic show. It is, the CW brand really is from Buffy and Dawson's Creek. I feel like those are the two main shows that the brand has pulled from. So uh, this is just, I think this is a perfect evolution of the CW brand. Definitely. And uh, for some reason, you know, um, you know, Warner brothers got the rights a while ago to uh, the wizard of Oz, like the movie, the 1939 um, MGM film once when, when MGM was going under. So, um, they're doing they're gonna do mm. um they're gonna adapt uh a toto book called toto the doggone amazing story of the wizard of oz and it's just the same story but from toto's perspective I, i'm a really big fan of an obscure uh japanese animated series called poochie uh from back in the late 80s early 90s um and so i'm all for uh, animated dogs up to shenanigans, uh, and I mean that's what it sounds like. So who knows? I mean it's it's kind of a weird thing to make, but uh, uh, but why not? I mean it's now uh, now's the time to start you know grabbing as much IP as you can and and milking it uh, if you're one of these big companies. So Wizard the Wizard of Oz seems like the next likely franchise to to try to do yeah, something that's, with. Just, that's one thing that the animaniacs actually sing about in the new series and the because i've only watched the pilot episode of the reboot but the last song they sing in it is all about intellectual properties being rebooted by hollywood and like the first three they bring up are charmed x-files and fuller house which is funny because you know charmed and fuller house are both warner brothers properties and i don't think x i think x-files is fully a fox owned entity and uh Okay. Uh, jumping off of that is, I mean, with all these different reboots of of of, uh, of well-known IPs, uh, I, I just I think it's going to be a good thing because we're either going to get so oversaturated that we start moving back to original ideas like uh, Regina King's Slay, uh, you know, even though that's kind of a an amalgamation of a Buffy idea. Um, but, uh, so we're either going to be oversaturated with it and we'll move back to more original ideas or they'll manage to make, you know, great reboots and remakes of, of pre-existing content that we all love. So hopefully one of those two things comes to pass. Yeah. I love it when they stick to like the same story world to a degree, or, you know, this multiverse idea that a lot of things are doing. That's what Star Trek did in 2009. Um, that's how they start the song too in the Animaniacs. <laughs> is these two guys are talking about how Star That's Trek awesome. uh, got rebooted, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, and we want to talk about like continuing these story worlds. Um, you know, they announced right after Mad Max Fury Road came out <laughs> that like their Warner yeah. Brothers was like, we want to make four more of these with George Miller, who's like a seventy year old man, <laughs> yeah. But they're making the Furiosa prequel. It's in the oh, works. Nice. Anya Taylor-Joy is going to play a young Furiosa. And Chris Hemsworth and Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, who just won an Emmy for HBO's Watchmen, um, he is also going to be in it. And it's going to be uh, co-written and directed by George Miller. Very cool. Uh, I mean, I, I'm de- I don't know about like making George Miller make five 
more of these movies because I think that the, you know, Fury Road took him the better part of a couple decades to develop. So uh, I, I hope that that's just uh, Warner Brothers ambition talking, but I'm, I'm all for uh, at least, you know, one more journey into his mind. And, and I think that uh, he really takes his time with his content and hopefully this uh, turns out as awesome as uh, Fury Road was. Yeah, or as as we always say on this podcast, maybe he should make two more. So this is like the Furiosa stuff's like a second trilogy yeah. in the Mad Max movie saga. So you have the first one, which is just like the Mad Max stuff, and now Fury Road sets up this new trilogy. I don't no, know. that makes sense. He doesn't need to. Yeah, he, he, well, and he, <laughs> I guess, he, and and he doesn't have to. I'm sure he's got uh, plenty of uh, money floating around from Babe Pig in the City. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. but but yeah. I'm, I'm at least exciting that, you know, when Warner Brothers says something like make five more of these, I think that George Miller's the kind of creator that says, you know, he, he doesn't put his foot on the gas. He really takes his time with each, uh, you know, property in that universe. And it's good to have that balance. Yeah, yeah. He also did the Happy Feet films for Warner Brothers. Happy Feet. You remember Happy That's Feet? That's right. Yeah. What a what an interesting career. Um Right, yeah, he's he like Lorenzo's oil. He's had a really eclectic, just like every movie is always completely different. It's he's really he's really cool. He's a really cool, fascinating director. Yeah, and he really, I mean, he flies in the face of everything that is usually taught in Hollywood that you need to find your genre and stick to it. And I mean, he is just uh, he definitely has gone the other direction where he makes you know, if he has a great idea for something or if he finds something that sparks his interest, he really develops it and follows it through to the end. Uh, and he's just got such a visionary mind. Yeah, and they're all just incredible films that he's made. Like his 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 back catalog yeah. is, is so great. And uh, if we go back to HBO Max for a moment, and we we're talking about um, TBS and, you know, Conan has been on TBS for the last, like, I believe like 10 years, 11 years, something like that. And, um, he's ending his TBS run and he's kind of, they're kind of moving the show over to, uh, HBO max, but it's going to be a variety series now. And it seems like it's just going to be once per week more, I think more in the vein of maybe last week tonight, which makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, he's, you know, first they dialed it back from one hour episodes to 30 minute episodes and then it became, you know, more infrequent. So this this seems like a natural progression. And and honestly, just whatever Conan O'Brien is so great at what he does, if this is the right creative mood move to, you know, keep his show interesting, then you know, you know, that's then I'm all for that because there's nothing worse than watching a talk show host uh, just continue churning out you know, 300 episodes a year and, you know, watching it get stale over time. So uh, I think at least he's, he's trying to figure out what keeps him excited about making the show. Yeah. And he does the interviews now on like his own pop podcast. I think it's Conan needs a friend yeah. or something. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard and, the, uh, didn't he do a Ron Burgundy one? That was like the, the first, that's the only one I've listened to. And it was great. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't heard that. That that's funny. Um, I always love when, uh, you know, characters that people yeah. play, like, you know, you pretend that they're like actually like, you know, real and like have real interviews with them. I love that. Yeah, I could definitely, I could listen to a whole podcast where instead of, 
actors coming on, you know, as themselves. It's Ryan Reynolds coming on as Deadpool, or I mean, that would just be such yeah. a cool masterclass in improv and acting, and uh, and 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 still, you know, getting a worthwhile interview out of it. Definitely, that yeah, that that seems like a good idea for an HBO Max like variety show talk for show because sure. they they already have the Elmo show, the Elmo talk show. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I can't wait. I hope Conan talks about that. Like, like <laughs> yeah. it's like we're, we're on before the Elmo talk show or something. <laughs> that, that, that reminds me of back in the day when uh, John Stewart went on Crossfire and they were trying to rip into him for not being uh, a serious interviewer. And he, you know, the, he has the famous line of saying, you know, our our show follows uh, puppets making crank phone calls. So I, I think that that <laughs> yeah. hopefully Conan O'Brien moves in a similar direction. Yeah, are, are robots fighting each other? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So uh, you know, everything's getting shuffled this year because of the of the COVID of coronavirus. So um, all of the movies have gotten reshuffled. Uh, they just announced that a Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four is actually going to be coming to HBO Max on Christmas. You know, it's going to be just there on HBO Max. You don't have to pay extra for it. Like you like. It's not going to be premium content like Mulan was for Disney Plus or anything. Yes, and and, and, and the cooler or interesting aspect of that too is that there is an interview with the head of AMC Theaters because it's going to be a day and date release. It'll it'll still be in theaters on Christmas Day, but it'll also be released on HBO Max. And the head of AMC was reported as saying, you know, he was all for this and that he he thought this was a good idea. Wow. And he, he you would not catch the head of a of an exhibitor, you know, saying that even a year ago. So that tells you how desperate some of these uh, theatrical exhibitors are getting uh, with COVID. You know, they just, they want new content. And even if it means, you know, a day and date release, they're not as concerned with that anymore. Used to, they really fought for that 40 day win, or it used to be a 30 or a three month window. And then it became a 40 day window. And now they just want content. And so I think that they, they really have lost a lot of bargaining power. So it, hopefully uh, hopefully this doesn't mean the end of theaters, but it definitely means that theatrical exhibitors like AMC do not have as much power as they did pre-COVID. Yeah, and like right when COVID was starting, well, right when we were kind of getting a grasp on what was happening with it in the United States, that was the whole Trolls 2 fiasco yeah. with Universal and the exhibitors and they were like we'll never forget yeah. this they were like mob mob bosses of like we'll never forget that you released trolls 2 the same day in theaters and streaming or it wasn't even streaming it was just premium yeah. like you had to it was you had to pay for it still because they didn't have peacock yet i bet you if peacock had come out they would have just thrown trolls 2 up on peacock as exactly. well. exactly but yeah now, i mean now just a few months later uh, they've evidently forgotten those threats uh, because you're right. At the time, they made it sound like, "Oh, we're not going to play like Universal movies in our theaters anymore." But I, I yeah, no Fast and <laughs> yeah. Furious anymore in theaters. Yeah, but I bet you. I mean, they they've probably changed their tune on all that. Oh yeah, and if this keeps, ha- I mean, this is this is going to continue to happen. But like, I think certain uh, theaters aren't going to be able to survive yeah, this. Sad. Maybe especially especially and independent theaters. I mean, they, it just it's just a tough yeah. market right now. Yeah, and we're talking about the Paramount Decree, how uh, the government got rid of that. And that was how um, the same company couldn't own exhibition that owned production. And now that's gone. So 
which I don't know how Disney was able to own the El Capitan for that long. So there were about seven theaters that were grandfathered in that had been owned by, it was kind of a concession the government made where they said, okay, you can keep this one theater because we understand you want to have premieres and you want to have control over that. So Fox owns, Fox still owns that theater in, uh, is it Westwood or somewhere? I think they still own that one and and Disney owns the El Capitan, um, but they were not allowed to own chains. Um, And and then when when the I, I think there's still going to be an appeal process, so I, I don't think it's set in stone that the Paramount decree is over. But the government's rationale, especially under a Biden administration, they they may not go as hard as uh, as as the current administration has gone on it. But anyway, I think now uh, you're going to have a situation where where basically the judge thought, you know, instead of holding Netflix and Amazon to the Paramount decree, we'll just get rid of the Paramount decree, which I thought was a really bad move. It's, you know, just, just have these streaming services have to play by the same rules as, as the big studios. Uh, but instead they just kind of blew up the industry. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think basically getting rid of the Paramount decree, I think kills independent theaters in the long run, because I mean, there's also a clause in the Paramount decree that says, uh, big studios cannot enforce block booking, which was essentially that 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 provision where studios could say, "Okay, you want to show Fast and the Furious? Well, you also have to carry eight really shitty and poorly funded movies that we also made." Uh, and now, if there's no Paramount decree, they could go back to holding big movies hostage. So Paramount could say, "Oh, do you want to show the next Mission Impossible in your independent theater? Well, you ha- you you also have to agree to show." six really bad, you know, low budget movies we made. Yeah. Monster trucks too. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, my, my thing, I was thinking that like some of these, um, like some of these chains will be bought out by the bigger, uh, by the studios, but who knows, like you're saying, it, it, like there's still, it's, it's still an ongoing process. So that might not, that might not necessarily happen. Yeah, and it could be a domino effect. I mean, as soon as, soon as Netflix, you know, Netflix and Amazon were thinking about bidding for the landmark theater chain, and then that deal fell through a couple of years ago. But if one of those streaming platforms purchased a, a chain around the country, you're just going to see a mad rush from these other studios to do the same because I think it'll be a, I think it'll be kind of an arms race for for theaters you know if if netflix suddenly owns 500 theaters uh why wouldn't at&t want to own a thousand and then why wouldn't disney want to own 1500 so absolutely uh, we'll see what happens yeah so before i get into the wb reshuffle of their schedule for the next three years i'll just i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw out some news at you if you want to comment on it you can you don't have to i'm gonna go real quick you ready Cool. Okay, Black Lightning is going to end uh, after season four on the CW. I, th- I think it's a pattern of a lot of shows being canceled because of COVID. I-, I think that there are some shows that didn't come back to production once all these uh, safety precautions were in place. And then it became a-, a-, a circumstance where these shows that were in their second, third, and, and sometimes fourth seasons, the, the studios were going to have to renegotiate actors' contracts for another season 
and it was getting too expensive. So instead of doing that, they're just canceling a lot of veteran shows. That makes sense. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's just a, uh, I mean, you saw that with uh, Netflix's glow. I think they had so many actors on that show where if they didn't come back to production, they were going to have to renegotiate Alison Bree's contract, Mark Maron's contract, all these, all these contracts that were all of a sudden going to cost double what it cost a year ago. Wow. So it was, it's just cheaper, I think, to have a bunch of first season shows being greenlit as opposed to waiting around and, and seeing if you can seeing if you have to pay all these veteran actors more money for a third or fourth season show. And you have, they have all these other DCW universe shows right now. So they, they don't need like, they don't need this show. You know what I mean? They, they have so much other content. They have the Superman and Lois show coming out. They just have so many other shows that are DC branded that they, they don't need black lightning really. No. And those are those first and those shows like, the Superman and Lois show that's coming out, that's a first season show. So I'm sure those contracts are cheaper than trying to pay Cress Williams a bunch of money to come back for a fourth season in five months. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, Last of Us, the the uh, video game, they're going to be adapting it for HBO. That looks exciting. I mean, I hope it's a, I think they said it was a limited miniseries, but I hope that's another one like The Watchmen that doesn't go on for five or six seasons too long that would be a great just one season maybe two season type property yeah it's two games now so i can see it being two seasons yeah and i don't know anything like i mean i assume it's zombies me neither i don't really and okay i'm gonna i'm gonna say spoiler stuff here but they might not be spoilers at all i mean i think the game is about zombies and i think the main guy who's with the girl in in the first game dies at the end of the first game and then you just play as the girl in the second game that would make sense and it's and if it's not zombies it could be like a 28 days later type trope where it's uh it's like a rage virus or it's something that essentially creates zombies but that the world doesn't call them zombies very zombie-esque yeah like oh they're, they're zombies but they're a lot faster so they're not technically zombies or something yeah so uh, Venture Brothers uh, was not canceled, but just kind of, kind of lightly ended its run over at uh, Cartoon Network. But there's been a lot of reassurance that it's going to be continuing on HBO Max. I hope so. I mean, that, that's another one where it was so brand defining for Cartoon Network that it would be a shame to see it not uh, come back, uh, you know, in this new uh, iteration of HBO Max. Yeah, I think... Um, it's a really brilliant show. It's a really dense, dense show. And I remember watching the first four seasons back to back. And then, you know, the fifth season hadn't come out yet. So I waited like four or five months. And then I started watching the fifth season and I was like, wait, what is that again? And just because there's so <laughs> much content in that show and just so much mythology that you really, I feel like you really have to just like start at the beginning and just go through the entire thing in order to really fully comprehend what's happening. <laughs> Definitely. I can see that. Yeah. Let's see. We're again, we we're talking about how we had this old Hollywood and now we got this new game kind of going on. And uh, so Warner brothers had castle rock set at Hulu and they can't, then Hulu just canceled that after two seasons. Yeah. That's another case where I, I wonder if those actors contracts just got too, uh, expensive while they're playing this waiting game and maybe they had to renegotiate a new contract with jj abrams after a year of waiting around 
to see what happened with COVID. Uh, so I don't know. Hopefully, something in that universe gets reignited on HBO Max. Uh, but but who knows? Yeah. And then um, let's see. I like in August. You know, there was that round of layoffs and restructuring in the business. And Bob Harris, um, the editor in chief of DC Comics, left the company. Um, he was let go. And um, so DC Comics actually just promoted Marie Javins to editor-in-chief. Very cool. Yeah, I I know that there was some backlash from comic creators, you know, about Bob Harris being let go. Uh, But it's it's great to see, uh, you know, a a female executive at the head. You know, hopefully that just, you know, puts some new life into uh, into the uh, to the studio oversight. Yeah. And I think Bob Harris, he was going to do this. I think it was called like 4G where, or 5G, where it was going to be like talking about the five generations of DC comics. And they even started the Batman run where he was going to go back in time to the thirties. And I think they actually do it in, and I think it's 1037 issue of Batman or detective comics where he actually goes back because, you know, issue 30 or issue 27 maybe it was 1027 i think issue 27 of detective comics is the first time you see batman you know back in 1937 there you go that's where the 37 comes from <laughs> and so i think he issue issue 27 in, in 1937 there you go yeah that's it yeah. and so i think in issue 1027 he goes back in time maybe to 1937 but he goes back to that original thing you know in the grant morrison run he kind of established that every 10 years like every decade of batman comics really is one year of batman's life which i think is a really cool simple way to kind of truncate everything yeah and to justify i mean just the the age of batman too where it's like oh how would this one person be, you know, fulfilling all these different missions. Well, that makes more sense. Yeah. And he just goes from 28 to 35, like back to 28 again. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. cause he just stays those ages. He's kind of always 33, you know? Yeah. Um, which I'm finally aging out of, which is kind of scary. <laughs> I know. I don't want to be older than Batman. Yeah. It's weird. Come on. And, but I'm still, wait, I don't know how old Robert Pattinson is. Like I'm still older than Robert Pattinson. Sorry, Robert Pattinson's still older than me, right? I would hope so. I think so. If he's not older, he's like right at our, at, at around our ages. Yeah. And what's the other guy? Pat Robertson? Like, isn't that the evangelical? Like, I always like. <laughs> yeah, he's, I really want to. Say, we're we're never gonna be older than him. Yeah, I really want to say his name. Oh my God, he is he is younger than I am. He was born May thirteenth, nineteen eighty six. I was born in eighty five. I'm a I am a um, Back to the Future baby, so nice. so the the new Batman is officially younger than me. That's really wild, in my opinion. Uh, talking about um, getting older, though, Ken Spears, the co-creator of Scooby Doo, um, has died at eighty-two years old. Eighty-two years young. Eighty-two. Wow. Yeah. And then um, over the course of the week that this episode is going to be premiering, um. um so let's well first let's pour one out for Ken Spears. Um, Scooby Doo is a huge property. If you want to hear my uh, review of the movie Scoob, head on over to the of course you mean of course you realize this means podcast, which is a Looney Tunes podcast where I talk to Jonathan Graves all about Scoob and 
the Warner synergy within it. Because, you know, they reference Lord of the Rings. They do a ton of different references to all of the Warner Brothers properties. Uh, you know, um, oh, nice. one of the kids is wearing a Wonder Woman outfit when they're a kid. Uh, so, yeah, it's a it's it's a cool movie. Um, it was a lot of fun. And they do a lot of references to to the creators. Like, you know, I, one of the creators, I don't know if it's Ken Spears, but like the mountain, the mountain side, the mountaintops that they're looking for um, is named after one of the creators, which I think is really cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's like, that's, that's very, there's a, uh, a mountain in Breath of the Wild that is also named after uh, a creator of, of Zelda. So uh, nice. that's, that's. Is it the cool little mountain thing going on? Is it the Miyamoto Mountains or is it the I I what is it Itoma? Is it the other guy? No, there's one that's like Satori, I think, if I'm pronouncing oh, it right. Oh, Satori Anuma. I think that's his first name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's the he's been the the head of Zelda, like the um, you know the the shepherd of Zelda since uh, Ocarina, I believe, since the... Oh, got it. Yes. So not a creator, but at least a, a, a high up uh, kind of developer and executive. For well, it. I mean, like you could like he didn't technically create it because I think uh, Shigeru Miyamoto created Zelda. But um, he uh, he was like handed the reins at, at a certain point And like, you know, be, oh, got yeah. it. Oh, I'm thinking of uh, Eiji Onuma. Yeah, that's who I was specifically thinking of, but you're right. Okay. Satori is uh, is the name of the mountain range, so I don't know who that's named after specifically. I think a lot of the mountain ranges are named after different creators of of the Zelda series. Well, and there's specifically in on Satori Mountain. Without spoiling too much, there's like a cool mythical beast there that is like this. It's called like the Spirit of the Mountain, and it's an homage to somebody. Uh, who's high up in the Zelda ranks? Who who like passed away before Breath of the Wild was released? Oh, um, that's really so, cool. Yeah, yeah. I really love stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, um, like the week that you'll be hearing this, which will be well, the week that this comes out is Thanksgiving 2020 week, and um, during that time, they're uh, TNT, TBS, and True TV are going to be showcasing HBO Max programming. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they're like these uh, ad-supported linear cable networks are actually going to be like promoting the the big boy uh, premier cable network that they're all part of now, really. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen AT and T commercials that are. I mean, they're heavily promoting HBO Max. Uh, you know, as they're talking about uh, getting people signing up for cell phone service. So they're they're. I think that maybe after all these people were let go uh, from Warner Media. Uh, partially probably because of the launch of HBO Max yeah. that now executives are on notice that, you know, we need to push this and we need to get su- subscribers now. Yeah. I think it's still good to have these different silos of TNT, TBS, the CW. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like you really need to have like heads of all of them. Like they could all be under one kind of banner, which is HBO Max. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I'm sure this is like this with a lot of different departments but there is a casting director who she, she used to be the casting director for all the Shonda rhymes shows at Shondaland. And she was hired at Warner media to be the casting director who oversees, uh, basically she oversees TNT, TBS and maybe HBO max, but they're, they basically put a lot of different 
casting departments under her purview. Wow. Uh, so maybe that maybe that's a, a similar line of thinking for a lot of different departments at Warner Media, where let's put somebody who is, uh, you know, at the end of the day in charge of all of it, but we'll have these little departments at TNT and TBS that report to that individual. So uh, maybe, maybe they're trying to be a little bit more synergistic. Yeah, that's great. And uh, how they do things. Yeah. So on uh, Thursday, um, which is Thanksgiving, um, the TNT will premiere the DC movie Aquaman, as well as the first episode of season one of what they're now calling the HBO Max original series Titans. Wow. Which is so funny because you, re- yeah. you remember how that show originated, right? Like in production. Yeah, it was uh, vaguely. I mean, it, it wasn't, I thought it was going to, wasn't it going to be part of like the DC app originally? And then it was going to be part of CW. And now it just seems like it's been at a bunch of different places. Well, the original place it was at was TNT when it was first being, when it was just the script. It was going to be the first. TNT DC comics like synergistic property and then oh. and then they started developing the DC Universe app which is now called DC Universe Infinite because uh, it's 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 just for comics now but uh, when they were developing that they're like oh well we already have this project that we've been making for the last couple of years let's just let's just premiere that on this DC Universe app instead so then it went from TNT over to DC Universe and then they started pulling all the content off of DC Universe and started putting it on yeah. HBO Max. And that was actually the last show, was the final holdout, was, I believe, Titans. I think the um, also the season three they did of Young Justice, they pulled that kind of late and put that threw that up on HBO Max. Uh, so now it's considered an HBO Max original series when it was like... <laughs> Like the reason why it feels so weird when you watch it is because it doesn't know what its branding is. Like it thinks yeah. it's it thinks it's a TNT show, then it thinks it's this DC Universe show, and now it's gonna think it's an HBO Max show. It it doesn't it doesn't know its branding. So while the other shows like Swamp Thing and um well we'll say Swamp Thing and, and uh, Harley Quinn, the animated series, like both of those knew their brand. They're like, we're going to be this DC universe brand and came out with all like guns ablazing. But um, I even like star girl, it was like, I'm going to be the DC universe brand. And then they, then they were like, wait, we're also going to premiere you on the CW. So then it kind of had the split feeling of I'm this, but I'm also this. And again, I didn't see star girl, but from what I can tell of the show, it seems like it's it's in the middle somewhere of the DC Universe brand with the CW brand. Like it, it's not as quite of high quality and production value that these like DC Universe and HBO Max shows have. But it's not the lowest quality of like reshooting everything in Canada CW quality. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's also just even though it's been years since Warner uh, Brothers acquired all these, you know. Turner Media properties like TNT and TBS, you can still kind of feel a lot of that Turner Media branding still on TNT and TBS. So whenever you have, you know, shows that feel like they should belong in a DC Universe app, uh, whenever you see it first start, you know, whenever you see that show pitched and bought at TNT and then it moves to DC Universe app and then it moves back, it's just, it goes through so many different filters and so many different lenses uh, that it, it, you're exactly right. It's hard to know exactly what 
demographic it's trying to target because TNT is uh, still playing shows like Animal Kingdom uh, and and shows that are you know we know drama type shows uh, and and then they're also expected to launch these comic book shows so it's it's just a uh, kind of a weird place right now yeah yeah so it's yeah it's they they're finally figuring out their branding hbo max warner brothers i think you know because the deal happened in the 90s when turner and warner brothers merged or warner brothers brought bought turner broadcasting but they were com- they were considered completely different silos not under anything you know they they were under the giant mothership but they still but only like financially like yeah. they they still had yeah that makes yeah, sense yeah like how viacom like owns like has always owned paramount and cbs but they kept them separate for such a long time and they finally let them merge together recently it's kind of the same deal where finally they let these silos kind of merge and 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 HBO was always super separate from TBS, TNT, and Warner Brothers was yeah. always super separate from HBO, and now it's all one thing, finally. Yeah, and, and hopefully HBO Max can be the, the secret ingredient that, that helps tie all this branding into under one umbrella, but it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult undertaking. It, it doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah, although that, it seems like the Harry Potter deal to have Harry Potter on HBO Max happened overnight somehow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Again, only two months. Or at it's least, gone or, now. Or at least, I mean, these things meshing well doesn't happen overnight. I mean, de- like the deals happen overnight. It's like, yeah, you can buy anything and, and put it anywhere, but to have it to have it feel like a TNT show after audiences have thought TNT was one thing for decades and now all of a sudden it's something else. Uh, it's just a different, it, it's a big move. You know, usually with these taglines, like we know dra- drama and even going back to like the Superstation, I mean, these things have subtle changes over the years where you don't quite notice that shift, uh, you know, as, as bluntly as, as it happens. Um, but, but now, you know, now that it, now that it's all under the HBO Max and Warner Media umbrella, these these big changes in branding are happening a lot faster than they used to. Yeah, and if we go back to um, how they're selling off a lot of their debt, uh, AT&T also completed a sale of the Puerto Rico and U.S. Virgin Islands businesses to raise 1.95 billion dollars in cash. That's another two billion. That's three billion that they saved. Just in this podcast, we're talking about alone. <laughs> yeah, and AT and T is a—they're—they're uh, they're known as like a dividend aristocrat. So they never—they never cut their dividends to their uh, investors. They haven't cut dividends uh, for like decades. Um, and so, in order to keep paying these kind of high percentages to their investors, they have to figure out how to to keep the debt manageable and to. Uh, uh, or at least start to carve away at that sixty billion dollar figure that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, so they're 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 having to you know sell large swaths of things in order to make their investors happy. It seems like they're probably down to like fifty forty five billion in debt now. I feel like they've gotten fifteen billion, maybe maybe I'm being generous, but it seems like they're they're kind of uh, they're they're figuring out figuring it out slowly but surely. Cash flow, like, and they still make a ton of revenue. So the idea is, even even if you're one of these huge companies that has a ton of debt, if you're still making money, I mean, like Netflix, for instance. This is Netflix is a smaller example of what I'm talking about. 
Um, but even if you're taking on a ton of debt like Netflix did, if you're if you're bringing in subscribers and you're bringing in consistent cash flow on a monthly basis, investors will forgive this debt because they say, oh, you you show that there's a way to uh, bring in steady revenue. And that's all we care about. Um, so it's 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 weird when you see companies with billions and billions in debt and they're still a success because of the cash flow that they're bringing in. Yeah, because they own Batman. So the so the investors know, oh, next year you're going to make a billion dollars with a Batman movie. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Princess Diana doc is set uh, for 2022 theatrical release and HBO and HBO Max take the U.S. streaming rights. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Again, just just moving through these, you know. Um, Clive Barker just um, he uh, joined the HBO series Hellraiser like the HBO adaptation for Hellraiser they're making that's cool yeah that, that would be a shame to not have him involved because that's just I mean his his ideas are so specific you know without him it, it could get hokey really fast exactly yeah so it's it's cool that they that they got him uh, LeBron James is going to be producing um, a CNN documentary about the 1921 Tulsa race massacre. And again, CNN is owned by Warner Media. Uh, LeBron James has a Warner Media deal. Uh, I think this is a really interesting synergistic thing because really, like HBO and Watchmen brought the 1921 Tulsa City Massacre, um, Tulsa Race Massacre, into the limelight. Um, and made a lot of uh, Americans aware of it. And um, now, uh, you know, now CNN and LeBron are going to bring it even further into the um, American, like, lexicon. Yeah, it's it's great because, I mean, even having grown up in Arkansas, which is a stone's throw away from Tulsa, uh, I mean, we were not taught about the Tulsa Race Massacre in um, elementary school or high school and I'm sure that's changing now, uh, but that that was not something that was discussed. I mean, the the civil rights movement was discussed, um, and and so many different kind of uh, social injustices were discussed in great detail. Um, but I don't know if it was the idea that it was a massacre that that uh, educators around the state thought was you know not age appropriate, but it, it's something that you you can't just kind of look away from and, and hope that people learn someday. It, it's something that has to be, you know, taught and instilled in people from a young age. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that uh, this documentary will be a great way to kind of just bring this forward even further and expose more people to just what happened in this country. Cause we live in a very um, interesting country with things like this that uh, almost get like, if you're not paying attention can get like swept under the rug and we don't want that to happen yeah. ever. We're, I mean, and the, we as a people are, you know, we have a short, shorter and shorter attention span and that not only applies to media, but to history. And, and if we're not careful, we'll forget things that happened, you know, uh, uh, within the last century even. Um, so it's, it's important to keep it in the, in the discussion and in the stratosphere. Yeah, like everyone is going to forget about Quibi unless they make a five-minute documentary about it for HBO Max next year. <laughs> the Quibi Massacre. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We were Again, we were talking about how um, 
uh, there's this content that Warner Brothers owns and they've been throwing up on HBO Max, but they've also been doing that with the CW too because they weren't able to film a lot of the stuff they wanted to get filmed for this current broadcast year, the 2020-2021. So they grabbed a lot of things from overseas, from Canada, and they're actually going to be airing the um, Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life uh, as an event series on the CW. Wow, yeah. that's cool. I'm I'm uh, I'm surprised Netflix is letting go of stuff like that. But uh, I I guess you know there's nothing that says Netflix can't host it on their streaming site while uh, you know selling the cable rights to somebody. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I I mean Netflix is making money off this deal as well since they help produce that. I think it's four yeah, four episode it, event series like continuation of the show. Yeah. I I also just know, I know that Jason Manzukis was on these in these four episodes. I remember him talking about that on the um what, what's that podcast called? Um how did this get made? Yeah. Yeah. And he's I think he's a big Gilmore Girls fan, so I'm, it's cool that he got an opportunity to be on the reboot. Yeah. And actually um that's starting um this Monday. So when you're listening to this podcast, when this podcast premieres, um this uh this Gilmore Girls thing is going to start. Um, so yeah, so Monday, November 23rd, and it'll be running through the week and it will also stream for free on the CW app for 30 days. Nice. And it will, and it's perfect timing with Thanksgiving coming. I mean, Gilmore Girls seems like a very, uh, family friendly kind of thing to have on your television set as you're, uh, stuffing Turkey into your face with your, with your loved ones. So, um, it makes sense to throw it up on the CW on cable during that time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this, this comes with the 20th anniversary of the show's launch on the WB. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So also, um, supposedly like see the CW chairman and CEO, Mark Pedowitz, he um he always wanted to get a Gilmore Girls sequel happening on his network. You know, he wasn't originally head of the CW when it first started. It was Don Ostroff, but then Mark Pedowitz took over. I think he's been there for like 10 years now. Um but uh he 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 was trying to get a deal set, but I think Netflix what actually happened was that Netflix simply outbid him. Yeah, and it also I wouldn't be surprised if Amy Sherman Palladino didn't have a bad taste in her mouth from, uh, you know, the final season of Gilmore Girls. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure she was reluctant to maybe uh, have an extension of the series, you know, air on the network uh, uh, that that she she might have thought didn't, you know, treat her appropriately as the creator of the show. So maybe it made sense that it needed to go to Netflix so that she could have a little bit more free reign and then now it's 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 nice that it's going to come back home for uh for a little short run yeah yeah i think that's really cool everything's coming like everything's coming together like we get we got like swamp thing star girl and now they're getting gilmore girls um back on this well not back on the cw it was on the wb network i don't think yeah. i don't think it carried over unless one season did um I'm trying to. I mean, I th- I thought that that and Smallville were kind of like bridge series that 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 did, but I, I'm I'm probably mistaken. I think I think you're right. Actually, I think it was those two and Supernatural. I think those were the three bridge series that were on both 
because Gossip Girl was the first year of the CW. And I always think that was on the WB because it's a very WB network branded show. But I think it was like being developed, yeah. but then was was put out by the time it became the CW. So I think, yes, yeah, Supernatural, Gilmore Girls, and um, and Smallville were the three that carried over. And I even think Smallville, I know Smallville was a while because we watched the series finale together. So that must have been like 2011, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it ran for about 11, 10 or 11 seasons. It was, it was a pretty long show. Yeah. Yeah, very, very long show. Let's see. Warner Warner Media has actually he, they signed a Major League Baseball contract, which is a seven year rights extension, um, at a reported three point seven five billion dollars. But no, wow. but no one really knows what they're gonna do with it specifically because it's t- Warner Media's Turner Sports, but. Um, I guess that's going to go to HBO Max. Like, there's no Turner Sports Network. There's no Turner Sports app. I don't think there is. So um, I guess those deals were were technically for, like, TBS or TNT. Um, specifically, I think they were for TBS. I think TBS does show baseball, right? I don't know if you know. Yeah, well, and T- TBS does baseball, and they also, at least, I, I know TBS for, they show the NBA playoffs every year. Uh, so maybe they make licensing deals uh, with, um, you know, the NBA. And then also I think I've seen some Olympics uh, on TBS occasionally when NBC didn't have the rights. Uh, so I, I, I think I think Turner Sports still, you know, does things. It's not the same uh, extent to which ESPN hosts sports, uh, but I think TBS at least does the NBA and, and a few other uh, sports like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty confident that they're gonna throw that over to HBO Max now, since you know it's all under one branding kind of, um, or as I've been saying in this one silo. <laughs> <laughs> I like the silo. Yeah, the the different silos, the the silo effect. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's go back now. Well, um, I wanted to end this with just talking about how they uh, kind of restructured the... See, I don't really have good segues. I need to be better with segues on this podcast. Uh, but... Well, the last bit of news that I, I, I didn't know if you were going to bring up, but what, didn't Terrence Winter just exit the uh, the Batman show that was going to be on HBO? Yeah, Gotham Central or Gotham PD. Gotham Central. I forget what it's going to yeah. be called specifically or what they're going to call it specifically. But yeah, Terrence Winter is gone from that, which I don't know if it's like creative differences between Matt Reeves and him or another showrunner that they have there. But um, yeah, he's gone. I wonder if he was just kind of there to set it up and then move on kind of like how uh, Martin Scorsese set up that Joker movie. And then, you know, then he kind of moved on. He didn't produce it. He let like one of his producing partners pr- produce it instead. So it might be. Yeah, that would. Yeah, that would make more sense to me. Anyway, like, like maybe he was paid as an executive producer and and creator, but he w- he really acted more as a consultant anyway. So maybe maybe there weren't a ton of differences exactly. Maybe this was always gonna be what happened. Maybe maybe he's just taking more of a step back than than he even he expected to. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, again, Terrence Winter, he he comes out of The Sopranos. He was or The Sopranos, as I say it. He was a writer on that show, and then he created Boardwalk Empire for HBO. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it's in, it, that should be interesting uh, what comes of that show. That, that has me really excited. I mean, they also announced um, the first HBO Max DC Comics show is going to be the Peacemaker show, which is a spinoff of James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't. Oh, so um, yeah, they you know they announced all the actors like who. Which characters all the actors are playing in James Gunn's The Suicide Squad? You have to put the the in there or it's a different movie. And John Cena is playing Peacemaker. They announced a spin-off HBO Max series and he James Gunn actually just went to go film that. So it's going to be the first thing. It's going to be the first HBO Max uh, DC Comics series even though like all of these other ones, like the Green Lantern show and all these other series have been announced previous to this. But I think he already wrote it out when he was writing The Suicide Squad. So it's going to it's going to happen first. That's cool. I wonder what deals are going to look like in the future with these content creators. If they have a vision for a TV show for HBO that also ties in with the movie they're making. Like, I, I mean, that that's kind of a rare circumstance since I'm sure that doesn't happen with all their properties. But I wonder if uh, you know James Gunn had a deal in place to do the movie and a TV show, or if he had an idea for the show and they made separate contracts for that property. And, and I, I don't know. Just in this age of consolidation, are companies going to do the same thing with their creators, where they say instead of making two separate deals for uh, you know a, a project that spans across multiple mediums, let's just make one super deal that includes a movie and one season of a show. Yeah. I think that, um, the, the deal that they had for Dune, like and Dune, the sisterhood was like, a was like one deal, but I feel like yeah. this, he had his suicide squad movie deal. And then as he was like filming it, he came up with like the show, like on his own and then pitched that to them. And they're like, yeah, definitely. Let's do that. We want to be in, we want to be in the James Gunn business. So, yeah they oh cool i mean yeah yeah. sounds awesome yeah there's a ton there is a ton a ton of hbo max dc comic shows now like the synergy is as strong as it's ever been it's pretty cool especially with h with wonder woman 1984 coming to this the streaming service and um let me see if I can find this real quick. And then, you know, you obviously have Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, we have that Batman. And we have the Gotham Central and Peacemaker uh, spinoffs. Um, yeah. But um, they also announced that there were the spinoffs for Aquaman and Wonder Woman called uh, The Trench and The Amazons. And we kind of don't know what's happening with those. They, they, when they pitched those and, you know, when they announced those, those seem like projects that I didn't think were ever going to actually be made, especially the trench. Like, you know, James Wan comes in and he uh, directed Aquaman and he's like, I want to do a horror movie. It's set in the Aquaman, like, you know, universe, a sub universe, no pun intended, pun fully intended. And, uh, and then and they're like, yeah, sure. What's it called? He's like the trench. And they're like, okay, yeah, definitely. You know, they just said yes without even thinking. Like, like th- is this a thirty million dollar movie? Is this a hundred million dollar movie? Is it going to be just sh- on streaming services? Is it going to be like where? Where is it going to be? You know, especially now where we had COVID. So a lot of the a lot of this content that was going to be in theaters 
is now just going to show up on HBO Max or Disney Plus or Peacock or what have you. Yeah, and that would make sense to me because I never thought The Trench sounded like that sexy of a title or idea for a movie. And the only reason it sounded interesting was because James Wan is so cool and interesting. And because, I mean, in a similar fashion, Aquaman doesn't sound like a very uh, profitable movie at face value just because it's not one of the bigger characters. But of course, he he took that movie and really made it something special. Uh, So hopefully you're right. I mean, I I think The Trench would be a very cool HBO Max release. uh, But I just I don't know how well it would do if you spent $180 million on it and tried to make it a tentpole film yeah yeah and there, i mean there's other things that they announced too um like i said that green lantern show they announced dmz which isn't demilitarized zone you know it's based off the comic uh justice league dark dc superhero high um aquaman king of atlantis which is an animated series and strange adventures these are all also things besides like you know they're also going to do Season three of Doom Patrol and season three of Titans and season three of Harley Quinn and season four of Young Justice. Uh, I mean, it's, it just it all sounds awesome. And it just I keep coming back to why can't we get a GD, uh, uh, you know, why can't we get Howard the Duck and Modoc on Hulu, but we can get a thousand awesome sounding DC television shows. Uh, it just I, I hope Marvel now that now that they've restructured and it sounds like things are a little bit more uh, on solid ground in terms of their synergy over there. I, I just, I hope they start opening up their universe in the same way DC has with their television properties. Yeah, absolutely. And that I mean that justice league dark show, cause you know, JJ Abrams and bad robots signed that huge, huge deal with Warner brothers exclusively. And everyone is thinking that JJ's next project is going to be some DC comics, you know, superhero film like a new superman movie because he he wrote a superman movie um superman flyby in the 90s he wrote a script that never got made so it'd be interesting if oh that's cool if he resurrects that you know wasn't he wasn't jj Abrams a big richard donner fan so i mean that totally makes sense i believe so yeah so it should be i mean like we'll, we'll see what happens i mean he's doing justice league dark for HBO Max, and then Elizabeth Banks is doing DC Superhero High, which is a really great idea for a show. You know, it's a completely different take in the multiverse where all the characters, like, go to school together and how, like, certain ones are, te- are you know, are professors. And I just think it's, like, a really clever uh, show that they're doing there. And then Greg Berlante, of course, is producing the Strange Adventure, Strange Adventures anthology series which oh, cool. i think is going to utilize like a different like all these different dc it's not going to be specifically one character you know they may just drop in for a character's adventure and then drop out oh that would be awesome yeah like like an anthology series but almost like every episode changes like uh yeah that'd be cool yeah exactly yeah i guess more like twilight zone-esque in a way yeah, yeah. i'd be into that yeah and so that brings us towards the end. And uh, again, we're going to be talking real quick about uh, the next three years of Warner Brothers tent pulls. So uh, Dune uh, has moved from December 18th to October 1st, 2021. That's a pretty big, like, 10-month jump right there. Yeah. 
Um, the Matrix 4 is actually moving up since they were able to film it and finish filming it. That's going from April 1st, 2022 to December 22nd, 2021, which uh, remember we were going to have that Keanu Reeves day on April 1st, 2022, which was going to be the release of The Matrix 4 and John Wick 4. But now, oh, yeah. yeah, now that's no longer a thing. We're not we're, like, we're no longer going to have Keanu Reeves Day, but we'll still figure it out. We'll still have our own Keanu Reeves Day, Alex. <laughs> in our hearts. In, in, our, in our hearts. And uh, the Batman is moving from October 1st, 2021 to March 3rd, 2022. So I lied before when I said it's coming out next year. It's coming out in two <laughs> years, guys. Wow. And then I'm worried. Of, I'm worried about that March date, but maybe it'll you know maybe it'll be the only big thing that is released in March. So hopefully that'll make it do well. But uh, anytime something is launched in the spring uh, in terms of feature films, it, it's it always scares me a little. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of I think um, Deadpool when it came out in February kind of. Um, like alleviated a lot of the fear of releasing a giant tentpole in a month other than the summer or like November, December. Yeah, that's true. Especially if it's not your normal PG-13 type uh, comic book movie or tentpole film. If it's something a little edgier, uh, maybe it makes sense to... Because, I mean, a lot of horror movies are often released uh, in kind of January, February, March. So maybe they're banking off grabbing a lot of those audience members. Yeah. And that was, I think, Birds of Prey's idea was banking off of this February uh, release date for an edgier movie. But I think COVID uh, affected that to a degree, um, especially the legs of that movie. You know, it kind of got cut off at by the end of February. No one was going to movies anymore, um, beginning of March. Yeah. And then uh, we have The Flash, which has not started filming yet, but that is moving from June 3rd, 2022 to November 4th, 2022. And again, those are just made-up dates because they haven't started filming that at all. Yeah. So doesn't yeah. not real. <laughs> like the rest of these, they haven't started filming yet, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, Shazam 2, which I didn't tell you yet. If, I, didn't, I don't think you watched the panel for it, but um, they did this little no. really, really cute panel at DC Fandom where you know it was like a zoom call and everyone was popping up in all the different boxes did you see shazam i did i finally saw it i loved it i mean it's uh it was like the perfect blend of um right of seriousness and silliness i i I was i was impressed i mean i i was worried you were overhyping it and that i was gonna see it and be a little disappointed but i thought it was exactly the kind of tone that shazam should have very cool yeah and there's like a meme that's like who like who the movie presents as the villain and then who the actual villain is. So of course, like, you know, who, like the actual villain is like the mother of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <His mom. laughs> uh, yeah. So dark. I love it. I, I, I think, I think that there's the, they balance the darkness and the emotions really well with like the light, fluffy fun in the film. Yeah. Just, and also just very good dialogue. I mean, very well-written dialogue for a, uh, for something that could have gone off the rails very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And just fun. I just have so much fun with that movie. And it's cool because uh, the seven deadly sins he fights in the film. And if you, I saw the movie, I've seen the movie a couple times now, and I've realized that throughout the movie, the main character, he's dealing with going through the seven deadly sins. So he goes, through, oh, I didn't think about yeah, that. He goes through gluttony and greed. You know, he goes through all of them. Um, like, 
it could be subtle. It could be very, very like ob- obtuse and, uh, but like they're all in that movie. It's just, it's really, it's just a really brilliant script. I think that film, like how it's even before built. you. Even before you said that, I was thinking to myself, that's one of the few DC movies recently that I would rewatch again. I mean, not not that the other ones aren't good, but that that one in particular just seems like it has a very good uh, rewatchability factor. Yeah, very good replayability for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so um, in this panel they had, and I talked about this in the last episode with Alex Newman, but I want to tell you too. Uh, so sorry, listeners, if you're hearing this mm. twice. But I love this. And my one of my favorite people ever pops up in the center frame and it's Sinbad. And and they're like, Sinbad, what are you doing here? You know, the comedian. Yeah. And he's like, Well, everyone always tells me that I'm in the movie Shazam and, and but I wasn't. I'm not in the movie Shazam. And they're like, No, everyone thinks you're in the movie Kazam, not the movie Shazam. <laughs> and he's like, Oh. And then um like the little girl from from Shazam she she's like hold on i'll be right back and then she comes back and she drew a poster for shazam 2 and she and it reveals the title which is fury of the gods which i think is really right and um that is a cool title she has sinbad like right in the middle of the poster like he's just also there (laughs) and uh, a lot of the guesses like he's gonna play talky tiny's voice like he's gonna be he's gonna play the voice of one of the characters which uh, update on Sinbad last week he actually had a, a stroke uh, so I hope oh, no. I hope he's doing okay because I love him so much um, like first kid uh, house guest was my favorite movie as a kid um, you know he's just been in uh, jingle all the way that's like the trilogy of like Sinbad to me and I think they're all just like brilliant movies I mean I don't think first kid is as good as the other two but I think the other two are like perfectly like they're perfectly campy and funny and like they're exactly what they need to be and they know exactly what they are. And Sinbad is just so funny in all of those movies. It's just that he's the best. And nobody turned their acting up to 11 quite like Sinbad did in those films. I mean, even Jingle All the Way, like he takes a really a really um, flat character that could be played in a really just one note manner and he adds a lot of heart and a lot of range to it. So I think he's, yeah, he's, he's pretty, um, he's pretty under, uh, rated under underrated. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that cause, uh, I was on a plane with him one time. Whoa. I really wanted to talk to him, but yeah, he was in, he was in first class and he looked like he didn't want to be, uh, bothered by me. Um, but, um, it was definitely a highlight just to be on the same plane as him back when plane travel was the thing. Nice. Yeah. The, the, tra- <laughs> the, the, the Sinbad chapter of your book should be called first kid on first class. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so the Shazam two, um, sequel Fury of the gods is going to, it moved from November 4th, 2022 to June 2nd, 2023. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be like 80 by the time this movie comes out. (laughs) And then uh, Black Adam moved from December 22nd, 2021 to To Be Determined. I guess it all... To someday. Yeah, to just someday. (laughs) Uh, I think it just all depends on The Rock's schedule, honestly. I think, uh, you know, he was filming Red, Red Notice... Uh, for Netflix with Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds um, this year, yeah. and they I think they finally finished filming that movie, but that that's what coronavirus halted for him, so that took ten months uh, to film. 
you know, movies should only take like what one or two months to film. And like, oh my gosh, I think they were filming Jurassic Park six for a year. Like, that's like that sounds yeah. like hell to me. Like being on a movie set for an entire year and like, ugh, that's the worst thing ever. I can't imagine that would be fun for an actor. And and also just talking about The Rock, uh, I I bet there's I bet Dwayne Johnson has more movies like that are just ready to be made whenever he wants to make them than anybody else in Hollywood right now. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's if there are like fifteen more movies like Black Adam that are greenlit and just waiting for his schedule to open up. It's oh just, yeah, it's 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 amazing how busy he is. Yeah, I think he's always wanted to make the. Uh, there's some movie I feel like he always wanted to make, and they just um, he announced it a couple of years ago. So I know like that's yeah. something that's on the like not. I, I was gonna say front burner, <laughs> not on the back burner, <laughs> on the front burner for him. I like front burner. Yeah, I think I think more people should use it. I think Black Adam's on the front burner for him too, because his uh, his D- DC fandom, you know, they let him talk for like twenty minutes about the movie. They announced uh, they announced like three characters that are gonna be in it, and uh, they showed and he talked to um, the actor who's gonna play Adam Smasher from the Netflix trilogy all the boys i loved before if uh i don't know oh. i don't know if mary lauren has watched that your wife uh holly my fi- th- my fiance has has watched all of that she really enjoyed that trilogy i think they've released all three of them um if i'm not mistaken i know at least the first two are on netflix i think they filmed the third one before the pandemic and they got it up there though but he's you know he's the love interest in in those movies and he's like he's a big guy and then they showed him like like talking to you know he's not in the same room as the rock but they showed him like zoom skype calling with the rock and you know the rock's so funny because he's in this green screen cave where they like they do the super zoom into him like through all these fake cg cave walls and then get to him (laughs) just standing there um like and you know he's just on a green screen at his house you know um i bet he i bet he just has a room that's green screen that that is all that they didn't have to send him anything because I'm sure he has so many calls and meetings where uh, he's required to do press now. You're probably so. right. And he calls it like the rock cave or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so then uh, Minecraft um, uh, went from March 4th, 2022 to to be determined. And I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show, but you know, they're making the Minecraft movie. They used to have the the rights to make the movies for the Lego movies. Now that's over at Universal. I I would assume mm. with how sequel rights work, they can still make a sequel to the Lego movie with Warner Brothers cuz you know, normally sequels stay in stay there, you know? Well, yeah, I bet they at least have a first right of refusal, uh, you know, somewhere in there where you have to offer Warner Brothers the chance to make it first, and if they say no, then you can take that sequel to somewhere else. Um, but the, but they could also just who knows? The, depending on the way that the deal is structured, maybe Warner Brothers just has bought the rights, kind of like Sony did, to own all the movie rights to Lego properties, and maybe they uh, maybe it only expires if they don't make a Lego movie in like you know five years at a time or something. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I, I mean, my pitch was that the Lego movie and the Minecraft movie should cross over at some point if it's the same studio. That just makes too much sense to me. Oh, yeah. 
And then uh, Aquaman 2 is remaining for Christmas 2022. And the Suicide Squad um, is still staying, I believe, in August 2021. So those movies aren't shifting at all. I think, again, just because the Suicide Squad's finished and Aquaman 2, you know, it depends on Juan's schedule uh, when that's coming out. So I'm sure he's sticking, you know, he has an, he has a deal with Warner brothers. He's has an untitled, um, horror film, um, that he's making for Warner brothers right now. He created the conjuring, um, universe, which I think I really want to do an episode on. Cause I think that's fascinating. Like, you know, the first, um, a genre that had their own, um, movie universes was the horror movies. Really? Definitely. And, and Lee Wanell, who is, uh, I think he was one of the co-writers of Saw, uh, or, or he was an actor in Saw, and then maybe he was a co-writer of one of the, the Saw sequels, and then he also got to write one of the Conjuring movies, uh, and then he went on to direct Upgrade. I think that was his first directing project. Okay. Anyway, uh, there's a great interview with him on the Script Notes podcast uh, with Craig Mazin, um, and they do a deep dive into uh, all things that uh, not all things the Conjuring, but all things related to Lee Waddell and the Conjuring. That's that's worth a listen. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I think Jam- I think James Wan is pretty much Warner Brothers one man Blumhouse Productions at this point. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. That's that's what they're using him for. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But then, but then he also gets to direct cool big movies. So it's it's kind of the best of both worlds for him. Yeah, I think because didn't he do Fast and Furious six or yeah, seven? He, no, he he did seven, which was the one that was like when Paul Walker died. I think that's right. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I think he pre- he pretty much gets to you know he, he's in a, a pretty unique position in Hollywood because he's doing huge movies and he still gets to produce you know smaller horror movies whenever he has the right idea for it. So he's got a pretty. Uh, interesting career path right now yeah it's almost the nolan career path where you do you do the big budget superhero movie and then you do your smaller film not i mean honestly the prestige isn't like smaller than or than or inception smaller than the dark knight by any means you know um but like you, you do your own original idea and then you go back to the well again and you do aquaman too exactly yeah so that brings us to the end of the ATNWB podcast. Um, good episode, good news episode. Um, I think all this news was newsworthy. We had some other stuff too, like HBO Max bought a bunch of international stuff. I didn't think that was that important to bring up because it's not really, uh, it's not really Warner Synergy, and I want to kind of stick to the Warner Synergy idea of like when Warner Brothers utilizes DC Comics on HBO Max, you know, stuff like that, I think is what this podcast is more about. Um, I don't I didn't even think we got to it, but like The Witches came to HBO Max from Robert Zemeckis. So that movie was oh, yeah. originally be released in theaters in October. And uh, they're just like, this is just our new HBO Max thing. Here you go. That was probably a good move because I, granted I haven't seen it, but the trailers did not make it seem like something that would have done amazingly well in theaters in a normal pre-COVID environment. So I think that's the kind of thing that's perfect for a move to HBO Max. Yeah, which is interesting because the original The Witches from 1990 was Warner Brothers, but right now the streaming rights are over at Netflix. So if you want to watch the original, you go over to Netflix. If you want to watch the Uh, new one, you go over to HBO Max. So I think in a way 
it was kind of them. I mean, the movie couldn't come out in theaters anyway right now, um, at least in the United States. So it makes sense that um, they would kind of take that energy away from Netflix and be like, look, we have the new version. Like they may have the old one, but like we got this new flashy one with CG mice instead of like robot (laughs) mice. I wonder if is the, do you know if the BFG, if like Spielberg's BFG is on HBO max, because that would be really great synergy to start having like a rolled doll universe uh, under your your umbrella. I I wonder who owns the rest of it. I think um, Netflix and, uh, and the road doll, like, foundation or whatever whatever it's called uh i think they signed an exclusive agreement for like a charlie and the chocolate factory shared rodol universe that's going to be animated uh. yeah uh, and bfg the movie was uh made by dreamworks with their deal for disney so i bet you the bfg is over on disney plus if anywhere that, may- that makes sense yeah yeah, and like um, even like you know, Rodal, Doctor Seuss, like I think uh, they like you know, there's all, always talks about wanting to do a Doctor Seuss kind of shared universe. And um, what I think is interesting is the Warner Brothers animated Warner Brothers animation series Green Eggs and Ham, which is beautifully, beautifully hand drawn animation. That's over on Netflix. So that was yeah. Warner Animation and Netflix working together. So that was like the old business model. Um, that's kind of dead now, I guess. You know, selling yeah. selling stuff to your competitors. Now it's you sell stuff to yourself. Yeah, and and you're definitely not. I mean, you're not really selling things a la carte. Or, you know, all around Hollywood anymore. It's it's like you're saying. It's like Roald Dahl Foundation making a deal with Netflix or, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like here's here's all of Mark Millar's. Uh, content that Netflix buys the entire rights for all of it for, you know, which they haven't done yeah. anything with yet. But Netflix is like that. They 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 announce something and then three years later, you're like, oh, they did make that. Oh, OK. Part of me wonders when that that kind of thing is announced, if they're trying to attract like creators to the project, like if they if they announce Mark Miller's, you know, uh, uh, you know, if his IP is all, uh, you know, licensed for Netflix if they're trying to get some big name writer or director to read that in the, in the dailies and say, Oh, I'd like to work on that. And just basically see, see who would like take a bite and, you know, want to work on a project and, you know, who knows, maybe Spielberg takes notice or maybe somebody that they weren't expecting wants to get in, into the development of the project. Yeah, totally true. I'm sure, I'm sure it's like, like you're, you're putting it out there. You're putting it out there into the universe to see what what comes back. Yeah, or even actors. Yeah, maybe maybe Ryan Reynolds or somebody takes notice, and you wouldn't have even dreamed to like reach out to that level of a person. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Reynolds always wanted to play like Char- Charlie, <laughs> Willy Wonka. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could do like Ryan Reynolds, like his face on like a kid's body, <laughs> if you really, really yeah. wanted to. Like the Love Guru, like the Mike Myers, oh, God. I think is a Warner yeah. Brothers film because all the Austin Powers movies are uh, that that the beginning of the movie where it's his, it's Mike Myers' face on a kid's body. It's so creepy. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me about the Love Guru. Oh, uh, whenever you need it. <laughs> I just remember in Workaholics, like they all dress up as Mike Myers characters. Uh, for oh, Halloween, yeah. and and so it's Austin Powers, um, <laughs> Wayne um, from Wayne's World, and then and then the Love Guru, Shrek, 
Yeah, no, it's uh, just it's just those three, and he's like he's no. like, what? Well, I'm trying to finish like the trilogy of Mike Myers, and they're like, dude, Love Guru is not part of that. <laughs> it should be Shrek, right? Shrek's his third character for sure. Definitely. Or so I married an axe murderer. The, the <laughs> his character from that, which I think is a Sony movie. Yeah, and he's isn't he like the straight man in that movie? That's it's all. It's just weird thinking of him as yeah uh not like the over the top character in a movie yeah he does like um uh like po- like slam poetry in that movie and that's like the cra- oh, really? the craziest he gets yeah uh. <laughs> yeah so i mean that's it for the ATNWB podcast all about that warner synergy um do you have any do you have any final thoughts alex did you, did you see any warner brothers movies you needed to talk about warner tv shows anything on hbo mm-hmm. No, I've been pretty out of the loop in the last couple of months, so I'm just excited to talk about the future of uh, Warner Brothers properties like we did today. So it was, nice. it was fun to break it down. Yeah, just just join me on this crazy, weird adventure, just, just talking about one thing that no one else yeah. will. Yeah, thank you. Well, luckily, it t- I mean, because all these, like like we've been saying, everything's getting consolidated, so... I mean, at some point, even when we're focusing on AT and T, you're bound to bring up Disney, and you're brand, bound to bring up Paramount. And uh, I mean, it's true. Things just naturally tie in together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they they all have their own streaming services now. It's all it's all really weird. Um, I mean, we finally got to the point where I thought we would be at like four years ago, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, that's it. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, the Animaniacs reboot is out there right now on Hulu. Um, they signed a two season contract, so the second season is going to be out on Hulu too. I'm curious to see what's going to happen after those two seasons end because oh, they announced uh, Tiny Toons uh, Luniversity or Tiny Toons Academy, a, a spinoff, like a reboot of Tiny Toons for HBO Max as well. Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah, so all three, I, I think of them as all three, of the uh, Warner Brothers, uh, anim- the Warner Renaissance, which I think of as Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, um, the, and then Looney Tunes, of course. Like, they're all back. They've all been rebooted. They're all back now, so that's really exciting. And then also Freakazoid, I've been saying this for a really, really long time. I will leave the podcast at this. Freakazoid, uh, which is one of those Steven Spielberg presents Warner Brothers animated shows, um, actually guest starred on Teen Titans Go this past week. Oh. So I've been saying for years, for years and years and years, tweeting out that Freakazoid needs to be integrated into the DC Comics multiverse universe. And it finally happened. My dream has come true. <laughs> Warner Synergy is at its peak, guys. We've did it. We can go home. I can retire. No, I can't retire because Space Jam A New Legacy is coming out. And like the leaks of that movie make it very clear that every Warner property is going to cross over in that film. Everything, everything so. you can possibly imagine. I would assume because the... The Watchmen? Yeah. Uh, I can I can see Doctor Manhattan guest starring in it. Honestly, I mean it seems like Harry nice. Potter, Animaniacs. Like I can see Casablanca. Like I can see all of these Warner properties uh, popping up in that movie. Because I think the premise is LeBron James and his son are visiting the Warner lot, and they get lost underground, and so they 
the Looney Tunes help them find their way out. But as they're finding their way out, they go through all the different universes that Warner owns. So, you know, they go through Harry Potter's world. They go through probably Casablanca. And then there's a big basketball tournament at the end that they have to win, I guess, in order to get out. Nice. I mean, I really hope they got Danny DeVito back for it in some fashion. Um, So we'll see. Yeah. Wait, Danny DeVito. Well, wait, wasn't he, who's the voice of like the head of the Monstars? Oh, you might be right. Yeah, I forgot. Was I it, think it's Danny DeVito's voice. I think you're, that's crazy. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and the. I don't think the Monstars are going to be in this iteration, but that's just me guessing. I, I don't I don't have any inside information. I have no idea. When you said basketball tournament, I didn't know if it would be something where it was like, oh, the secret you know, big bad of this movie is the head of the monsters again. But, uh, but I don't know. I'm, I was actually the way to, because I was hoping that it wasn't just a rehash of the plot from the first movie. Like a, uh, this sounds like a m- much more refreshing. Yeah. Well, I hope Danny DeVito's swack hammer as his character was named, uh, comes back. Cause that would be perfect. There's some people who really yeah. love the monsters. So I hope they, uh, return a funny bizarre thing up justice for swag hammer yeah we need swag hammer back justice for swag hammer everyone tweet that out let's get this rolling uh so yeah if you guys can rate us 10 stars on itunes or apple music whatever <laughs> whatever we're on whatever you get us on that would be great not five <laughs> rate us 10 stars so even if you can only go up to five then just write 10 stars as your review <laughs> <laughs> 10 star girls that's what that's what we want. And uh, so that's it for the 18WB podcast. I have been your host, Chris Booker-Taylor. And, and I've been Alex Wilson. Nice. And uh, fare thee well. And uh, that's all, folks. Rawr! This has been a full dinosaur production. <laughs>